The title of this evening's talk is The Pure and Beautiful Mind. And beginning with uh, a quote from William Butler Yeats, his poem called The Celtic Twilight. We can make our minds so like still water that beings gather about us that they may see their own images and so live for a moment with a clearer, perhaps even a fiercer life because of our quiet. With this evening's talk, we'll (coughs) explore some of the wholesome and beautiful states of mind or factors of mind, chetasikas in Pali, that are associated with the development and the fruits of concentration, and also to varying degrees uh, with the development, deepening, and fruits of insight and metta practice, all of which includes a growing depth and clarity of mindfulness, the chief, as the Buddha called mindfulness, this quality of mind that needs to accompany us through all of our practice. The Buddha's very uh, precise teachings and analysis of these mind states or these factors of mind are disclosed in the Abhidhamma Pitaka, the basket. That's how the word Pitaka translates, the Abhidhamma basket. So we'll just do a a brief review of what this Abhidhamma basket is all about. The Abhidhamma is one of three baskets, one of three divisions of the Pali Canon, which is the authoritative record of the Buddha's teachings. The first basket, or collection, is the Book of Discipline, containing the rules of conduct for the monks and nuns, and all of the guidelines regarding governing and living in community, in this case meaning the monastic community the Sangha, though many of these guidelines can also be applied to living in a a lay Buddhist community, or in any community, actually. The second uh, collection, or basket, brings together all of the discourses, all of the teachings, all of the suttas that the Buddha gave over his 45 years of teaching. The third collection, or basket, is the Abhidhamma Pitaka. And this basket has a distinctly different character, uh, or different quality, we could say, than the other two. Whereas, it's not a record of discourses and discussions occurring in 
real-life settings, which both of the other uh, two baskets are very much rooted in. But rather, the Abhidhamma is a very clear, detailed, and refined disclosure of mind and mental processes that combine psychology, ethics, virtue, and philosophy from the Buddhist perspective into a unique and really quite remarkable synthesis and is experiential, meaning it's what we actually experience as our practice develops and blossoms. I think it's important in that it can be helpful and inspiring at some point uh, along the way of practice to actually hear in at least some detail about some of the more refined experiential uh, processes that take place in practice. To understand a bit more about how the mind works in practice. Through the years of my practice, I've found this information quite interesting in and of itself, as well as the fact that this information, this understanding, can help to counter the fears and other uh, averse reactions, along with the made-up and sometimes fanciful stories and analysis, the misperceptions and misunderstandings, and the attachments, the clinging that can come up in practice in relationship to what may be unusual or uh, unfamiliar experiences, or even in relationship to our more familiar experiences, some of which uh, one of my Burmese teachers, Sada Upandita, who I mentioned uh, Uh, Recently, he uh, passed away last Saturday. Um, uh, Some of which Saida Upandita called the Dhamma delights of our practice. (coughs) The Abhidhamma speaks about 35 wholesome mental factors, wholesome mental states some of which are both wholesome and beautiful, associated with the development phase of concentration and with the manifestation of jhana, with these states also occurring during the development and manifestation of metta, and then ongoing into vipassana practice as mindfulness and insight uh, continue to unfold and blossom. Twenty-nine of these wholesome and beautiful mental states, these wholesome and beautiful mental factors, are universally developed through our practice. Six of them are considered to be occasional and are wholesome only if they're accompanied by wholesome consciousness. So lots of numbers and you don't need to remember. Uh, this will certainly all become clearer as we explore these uh, various mental factors this evening. The first five 
uh, factors are active, wholesome mental factors that are part of both the initial and ongoing development of concentration, pure concentration, and the focus of attention involved with metta practice, with the first two factors also being necessary and active components throughout our practice of insight. The last three of these first five uh, mental factors manifest as active, wholesome, experiential states during specific stages of the development and manifestation of concentration and jhana, and also in relationship to metta practice to varying degrees. They're also active during particular aspects of vipassana practice. So these first five wholesome factors of mind, which each of you, each one of you, are experiencing to varying degrees here in this retreat. So uh, first I'll just list these first five, and then uh, we'll look at them in a, in a more uh, detailed way. The first is called in Pali Vitaka, which translates as initial application. The second, the Pali word is vichara, which translates as sustained application. And when, uh, when accompanied by wholesome consciousness, these first two factors are wholesome factors of mind when they're accompanied by wholesome consciousness. So they're called occasional. And uh, something that's very possible, of course, is unwholesome application and sustaining this unwholesome application of mind on something that's unwholesome, which uh, I'm sure every single one of us know from our own experience. We can be very focused and sustaining the focus on a very unwholesome state of mind. So the first two. The second, or the first two. The third is in Pali, piti, which is usually translated as joy or zest. The fourth is sukha in Pali, usually translated uh, simply, and we'll explain it more, happiness. And the fifth, ikagata in Pali, which is translated as one-pointedness. So now looking at these in a little more detail. The first wholesome factor of mind, vitaka, translated as initial application, meaning it's the application of the mind to the object for attention. Vitaka has the characteristic of directing the mind to the object. So in our case here, for example, sensations of the breath at the anapana spot or the movement of the breath in the belly or in other various other areas of the body or a particular metaphrase 
and the internal visual image of the metta object, whatever, whoever that might be. So that's uh, vitaka. Vitaka's function, we could say, is to strike at the object as the very graphic description in the Abhidhamma speaks about. The process experientially manifests as leading or training the mind to the object, kind of like training a puppy. So, you know, not always easy. Puppies are hard to train. So is the mind. (laughs) Vitaka has the special task and fruit of inhibiting the hindrance of sloth and torpor, which is often just termed sleepiness and lethargy. Vitaka is very, uh, very closely associated, connected with intention, right intention or wholesome intention, as in the Noble Eightfold Path. So the second wholesome factor of mind, the vichara in Pali, sustained application. Vichara has the characteristic of continued pressure, or as it's described in the Abhidhamma, stroking the object. In the sense of staying with it and seeing and knowing how it's manifesting. It's the continuing and sustaining exercise of the mind on the object. And in our case here, for many of us, it's the breath sensations. Maybe at the anapana spot, or the sensations of the in and the out breath elsewhere in the body, or a metaphrase, and the image of the metta object. Vichara temporarily totally inhibits the hindrance of doubt in deep states of concentration, in jhana concentration, and overall weakens doubt throughout one's ongoing concentration or metta or insight practice. There are some wonderful metaphors, uh, similes in the commentaries to the Abhidhamma highlighting the difference between uh, vitaka and vichara. And I'd just like to share a couple of these with you. Vitaka is like a bird spreading out its wings to fly. The initial application. Vichara is like a bird gliding through the air with outstretched wings. Sustained application. So the third factor of mind, piti in Pali, joy, zest, as it's often translated, piti is an occasional because only if it manifests with no identification and no attachment is it wholesome and beautiful. The, men, the uh, mental characteristics of piti 
can actually be quite uh, endearing and can be explained as delight or a very positive or pleasurable interest in the object. Its function is to refresh the mind and the body and the heart. It pervades the mind and in its initial stages also the body with thrills, sometimes described as rapture through uh, uh, this, uh, sometimes described as rapture, though this particular word doesn't really cover all of its nuances. It often uh, manifests as a mind-body quality of elation, gladness, joy, merriment, mirth, exultation, exhilaration, and satisfaction in the mind. In the commentaries to the Abhidhamma, there are five grades of piti, distinguished that they're distinguished quite clearly, that can arise when vitaka and vichara are in place and perking in our practice, with the uh, result uh, uh, possibly being uh, piti. And I'm sure that as I go through these five uh, manifestations, I'm sure that some of these will be recognized for some of you as experiences that have occurred in your practice to varying degrees. So the first is called minor joy or minor zest. And it's able to raise the hairs on the body. The second is momentary joy or momentary zest. And it's like small flashes of lightning in the mind. The third is called showering joy or showering zest. And it breaks over the whole body again and again like waves on the seashore. And it's uh, sometimes talked about as being orgasmic-like. The fourth is called uplifting joy or uplifting zest. And this can cause the body to feel like it's levitating, which I've actually heard, uh, uh, for some yogis, has uh, actually occurred. (laughs) A story that my friend and co-teacher Sado Vivekananda tells about a monk at a particular monastery in Burma um, did his sitting practice on his bed in his little kuti, in his little meditation cottage. And uh, he uh, supposedly, uh, maybe I guess he actually did, uh, would rise up, just a little bit probably, but rise up and fall over again and again and again, as the story goes. So um, at one point the word got around, probably because he told people about it. And um, so uh, people were really interested and curious. And so he called other monks who wanted to see this event. So he called them to come to the window of his kuti in his room at a certain time and to watch the show, which supposedly they did. (laughs) So that's uh, the uplifting joy, uplifting zest. Then the next is pervading zest or pervading joy. 
And this floods the whole mind and body with a refreshing, bright elation. And in the Abhidhamma description, they describe it as like a flood that fills a cavern. The next, uh, as a factor of mind, sustained a PT, a particularly PT that is experienced much more as a mind state than in the body, has the potential to weaken the hindrance of ill will. And with a very focused and absorbed attention on the object, as happens with the manifestation of jhana, and sometimes also happens in metta practice, PT temporarily inhibits ill will. And at this point, though, PT is only a mind state. It's not experienced in the body. So the fourth of these five, first five wholesome states is sukha in Pali, happiness as it's usually translated. This state of mind is wholesome and beautiful only if there is no identification or attachment to it when it's occurring. So consequently, it's an occasional This mental factor is a very pleasant, happy mental feeling born out of mind contact with the object of attention, such as the breath at the Anapanaspad or possibly breath sensations in other areas of the body or maybe in relationship to a metaphrase and the object of metta. Sukha is a sweet, blissful mental feeling born out of detachment from all sensual pleasures. So it's it's, uh, explained as unworldly or spiritual happiness and can be quite gratifying, quite endearing as... uh, uh, engendering a deep sense of gratification. Consequently, it's very easy to get attached to it. So mindfulness needs to remain strong and clear. Sukha counters and weakens the hindrance of restlessness and worry. And although PT and Sukha are closely connected, they're not the same. So I'd like to uh, share uh, some commentary description uh, of PT and Sukha. And this is uh, from the Abhidhamma commentaries. PT, joy, sometimes called rapture, is like a weary traveler going along a path in a great desert in summer and is overcome by heat and thirst. This person sees a woman or a man and asks, where is water? And the other says, soon there is a dense forest with a lake. Go there and you will get some water. Upon hearing this, the traveler is glad, joyful, and delighted 
and then more glad and delighted when he or she sees leaves on the ground and then people with wet clothes and wet hair and hears the sounds of wild fowl and then sees the dense green forest like a net of jewels growing by the edge of the lake, sees clear transparent water and water lilies growing in the lake and then is more and more joyful, glad, and delighted. So that's the piti uh, uh, from the commentaries to the Abhidhamma. Sukha, ease, sweet happiness, is like the traveler entering the forest shade and enjoying the water. The commentary describes it like this. He or she descends into the lake, bathes and drinks with pleasure, eats the fibers and stalks of the lilies, adorns herself or himself with lotus flowers, and then ascends the lake, dries off with a bathing cloth, and lays down in the cool shade with the breeze blowing ever so gently, and says, Oh, bliss, oh, bliss with a sense of ease and sweet happiness, growing strong, enjoying the taste of the object, as it says in the commentary. So piti, joy, rapture, and sukha, the sweet bliss of happiness. They're closely connected, but not the same. PT gains prominence before sukha and provides the causal foundation for sukha to arise. <coughs> the fifth of these five wholesome mental factors is ikagata, one-pointedness. It's a universal mental factor and literally means one-pointed state. This mental factor is the primary component, is the essence of concentration samatha, be it a sustained and potentially absorbed concentration or the momentary focus of attention as in vipassana, as in insight practice. One-pointedness in the fourth jhana temporarily, completely inhibits sensual desire and weakens it to some degree overall. This weakening of sensual desire, this uh, sensual desire that we blindly, habitually get caught in uh, over and over again, uh, unconsciously, unwittingly, in all kinds of different aspects of sensual desire, is weakened, even with a developing and maturing momentary focus of attention. This momentary focus of attention is a very necessary condition for any deeply transformative meditative attainment. The function of ikagata is that one is able to very closely contemplate the object. Though it can't perform this function on its own, it requires the 
joint or cooperative action of the other four factors that we've just explored. Each performing its own function. Vitaka applying the attention and all of the associated states on the object. Vichara sustaining the attention along with all of the other associated mental states on the object. Piti bringing delight in the object. And Sukha experiencing a sweet happiness in relationship to the object. These first five factors of mind are associated with the development of concentration and the development of the very deep absorbed concentration, jhana. Along with the development of metta and the developing process of insight practice, mindfulness-based insight practice. And so we'll go on now and look at the other beneficial factors of mind, uh, somewhat more briefly than these first five, that are associated with concentration, insight, and metta practice. So the next is adimoka in Pali, decision or resolve. And this, again, is an occasional. As it's wholesome, only if it's associated with a wholesome object of consciousness. Adimoka literally means the releasing of the mind onto the object. And, and so it's rendered as decision or resolution. It has the characteristic of conviction and the function of not groping around. It manifests as decisiveness regarding the object of attention. Its nearest and most immediate cause is that it needs something to be convinced about. So for example, in our case here we could use this example, making a resolve to give one's complete attention to the breath at the anapana spot or to a metta phrase and the particular object of metta or the breath somewhere else in the body, just as examples. It's been compared uh, in the Abhidhamma to a stone pillar, owing to its unshakable resolve regarding the object. So the next wholesome mental factor, mental state, is uh, virya in Pali, energy. And it's another occasional, occasional wholesome mental state. It's wholesome only when it's associated with wholesome mental activity in practice. Virya is the state or action of one who is vigorous. Its characteristic is exertion and supporting or mobilizing or marshalling, as it's called in the uh, Abhidhamma. Its function is to support the states that it's associated with, and it manifests as non-collapsing. 
the closest cause for this energy to manifest is a sense of urgency, spiritual urgency. Or engaging in an experience that arouses energy, which could be as simple as uh, taking a refreshing and brisk walk, or maybe doing 15 minutes of mindful yoga, or tai chi, or qigong, or some mindful exercise, or any wholesome activity, actually, that stirs and inspires one's internal energy towards vigorous action, meaning here towards energetic practice. The next wholesome factor of mind is wholesome desire. Chanda in Pali. Means the desire to act. The desire to perform an action or to achieve a result. And this uh, type of desire needs to be distinguished from unwholesome desire. Unwholesome desire that stems from greed and stems from lust. Chanda is a wholesome desire when it's associated with various wholesome intentions. It can function as the virtuous desire to achieve a worthy goal as in relationship to our practice. And it's spoken of metaphorically in the Abhidhamma commentaries as, I particularly like this description actually, the stretching forth of the mind's hand toward the object. So there's a ongoing long list of universal beautiful mental factors or states of mind, some of which we've already explored in this retreat in some detail and some others that we will uh, be exploring as the retreat continues. So basically what I'm going to do is uh, list them, not going to go into any detailed explanations. The next is faith. I'll just go on down. Mindfulness, which we certainly have explored in quite a lot of detail. Uh, The next two, hiri in Pali, which translates as moral shame, and otapa, Pali word, which translates as moral dread or fear of wrongdoing. These two beautiful mental factors, hiri, Otapa are considered to be absolutely necessary for the protection of the family, the protection of the community, protection of the world, and in relationship to all relationships. So next is non-greed, non-hatred. Next Neutrality of mind, neutrality of heart, which is associated with equanimity. Followed next, following tranquility of mind, tranquility of heart, extensive calmness. Tranquility is extensive calmness. 
we did look at that uh, in a morning reflection a few mornings ago. Tranquility of consciousness. Lightness of mind, lightness of heart, which means brightness, the opposite of heaviness, the opposite of the sinking of the heart, the sinking of the mind, the sinking of consciousness. Malleability of mind and heart, meaning non-rigidity. Malleability of consciousness. Wieldiness of mind and heart, meaning the ability for the mind, the heart, to go where it needs to go. Wieldiness of consciousness as well. Proficiency of mind and heart, which means the clarity and the quickness capacity of the mind and the heart. And proficiency of consciousness. Honesty or uprightness of mind and heart. Honesty and uprightness of consciousness. And then next are the four divine abidings, the four Brahmaviharas, which are beautiful and wholesome. Metta, unconditional loving kindness, compassion, karuna, appreciative or empathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upekka. Now just remember, all of these are developing in our pra- throughout our practice. And uh, the Abhidhamma breaks them down one by one by one, which I think is very helpful, as I mentioned early on in the talk, to understand what is going on. Not to cling on to, but to really have some understanding of what is developing. So next there are three more beautiful mental factors, and they're called the abstinences. There are three distinct mental factors that the Buddha often spoke about um, that come about through three different types or three different levels of, of abstinence. And all three of these are very important for the development of concentration and insight. So the first is called natural abstinence, meaning the abstinence from mental and physical deeds that cause harm, which are classically called evil deeds, uh, when the opportunity arises to engage in them due to various conditions and uh, particular circumstances, such as maybe one's social position or one's age or level of education, etc. There's a lot of uh, particular uh, circumstances and conditions. One naturally abstains from these mental and physical deeds out of one's innate wisdom and compassion. The second abstinence is the abstinence by undertaking the precepts, the commitment to live one's life observing the precepts, abstaining from killing, harmful speech, stealing, sexual misconduct, and taking intoxicants. The third abstinence is by eradication, 
And this comes about through the fruits of engaging in the supramundane path of the purification of the heart, the purification of the mind, purification of consciousness. This Buddha Dhamma path of awakening, of liberation. And what is eradicated, and this is a profound, what is eradicated is the disposition towards engaging in deeds that cause harm. That's quite profound, actually. So, um, the first two abstinences are mundane, they're common, uh, they're ordinary in the worldly sense. While this last one, this third one, is supramundane, meaning it's not common in the worldly sense, but it's of a purified, spiritually purified nature. And it's not easy to come by, to actually uh, have the disposition eradicated towards engaging in any deeds that cause harm. We're moving along that path, little by little. So going back to the second level of abstinence uh, in relationship to living one's life observing the precepts, there are three particular ones uh, in this regard. Um, Beautiful and wholesome abstinences in relationship to observing the precepts that are listed in uh, these uh, uh, capacities of heart and mind. Right speech, a deliberate abstinence from wrong speech, meaning deliberate abstinence from false speech, slanderous speech, harsh speech, frivolous talk. The second is right action. The deliberate abstinence, this is all in relation to observing the precepts, the deliberate abstinence from wrong or harmful bodily action, such as killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct, which I already mentioned briefly. And the last of the three that's mentioned is right livelihood, as it's called. Deliberate abstinence from wrong livelihood, such as dealing in poisons or weapons, And these can be broadly understood, uh, uh, certainly. Uh, Dealing in poisons and weapons, intoxicants, animals for slaughter, or people to be used in unwholesome and unharmful ways. And classically, that was listed as slaves, but we can understand that in a lot more, uh, in a broader way and in a more detailed way uh, these days. These three abstinences function as a shrinking back, we could say, from harmful deeds and manifest as the abstinence from such deeds. The closest and most pertinent causes for this are the special and beautiful qualities of faith, which we will explore in more detail soon, the, whole, the special and beautiful qualities of faith and of the shame of engaging in harmful deeds, hiri, 
and the fear of wrongdoing, otapa. And also having few wants and wishes. We could say that all three of these beautiful mental factors can be regarded as the minds or the hearts wholesome aversion to wrongdoing. The last of the long list of wholesome and beautiful mental factors, wholesome and beautiful mental states of the mind that develop through our practice of concentration and uh, Brahma-viharas, all the Brahma-viharas, metta, compassion, mudita, and uh, upekka, and through our insight, mindfulness-based insight practice, the last of this long list of beautiful and wholesome mental factors is non-delusion, the wisdom faculty. The wholesome and beautiful mental factor of understanding, of insight, which is the essence of our path of practice, the path of the heart, the path of the mind. And as Carlos Castaneda said, a person of knowledge chooses a path with the heart and follows it then looks and rejoices and laughs, then sees and knows. The importance of beginning to clearly recognize at least some of these experiential states in relationship to your own practice your own practice experience as concentration and mindfulness continue to blossom is that with knowledge of what is occurring and why it's occurring, we have the opportunity, we have the possibility to recognize and to know these beautiful and wholesome states without attachment, without identification and and without fear or other averse reactions and without misunderstandings and misperceptions but rather what with what is uh, classically called dispassion which is what allows the continuing development of our practice to keep unfolding, to keep blossoming. In their fullness, in their utmost maturity, these are the wholesome and beautiful states, beautiful qualities, beautiful capacities of a liberated heart, a liberated mind. As we come to the end of this evening's talk, I'd like to offer you some advice from the author Robert Piercig, who wrote Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Some of you uh, may have read that book maybe many years ago, or maybe not so many years ago. 
This is from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Piercing. And uh, it's titled Peace of Mind. So the thing to do when you're working on a motorcycle, as in any other task, is to cultivate the peace of mind which does not separate oneself from one's surroundings. When that is done successfully, then everything else follows naturally. Peace of mind produces right values. Right values produce right thoughts. Right thoughts produce right actions. And right actions produce work which will be a material reflection for others to see of serenity at the center of it all. That's why we liked this book so many years ago, even if we didn't really know why we liked it. <laughs> he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so closing the talk with some words from 11th century Tibetan Buddhist master Atisha. The greatest achievement is selflessness. The greatest worth is self-mastery. The greatest quality is seeking to serve others. The greatest precept is continual awareness. The greatest medicine is the emptiness of everything. The greatest action is not conforming with the world's ways. The greatest magic is transmuting the passions. The greatest generosity is non-attachment. The greatest goodness is a peaceful mind. The greatest patience is humility. The greatest effort is not concerned with results. The greatest meditation is a mind that lets go. The greatest wisdom is seeing through appearances. And let's sit quietly for just a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.